Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we discuss the most interesting seafood news of the day. I'm Drew Cherry, Editorial Director of Interfish Media. I'm joined by John Fiorillo, Executive Editor in Seattle, Washington, Dominic Welling, Senior Reporter in London, and we've got production help from Kim Tran in New York. Hello, everybody. Hello. Interfish has a couple of live events coming up I wanted to tell you about. On March 8th, we'll have our Women in Seafood event here in Bergen, Norway. You can contact us if you want to find out how you can reserve a seat for that event. We're also going to be in Boston on March 12th for our Boston Leadership Breakfast. Again, you can reach out and contact us about that if you'd like to find out how to attend. Just drop an email to events at intrafish.com with the subject line Boston or Women in Seafood. We'll make sure and get back to you and tell you more details. Well, moving right into it, uh, John, you and I were just in beautiful Miami at the Global Seafood Markets Conference, uh, and there was, a, there was a lot to take away. It's usually a lot of numbers and a pretty dense program. Um, what were some of your highlights, lowlights? What were the big takeaways for you? Well, uh, you know, a lot of the conference is kind of uh, forecast for 2018 as far as supply uh, is concerned for various species. They break it down by species. And I think overall what I, w- what I took away was um, the outlook for most species is very positive for next, for next year. Uh, yeah. Scallops, or for this year, excuse me, scallops and shrimp come to mind. Uh, looks like stable um, production for shrimp and some uh, definite rising production in the U.S. for scallops. Also thought everybody seemed pretty upbeat. Uh, this is a good conference to gauge kind of where the uh, executives' minds are as far as, you know, business in general. So, so yeah, I, th- I thought that was interesting, too. And, and then uh, – the other takeaway I had was there, there is still some concern over, you know, international trade and what the current administration may do. It's it's very hard to figure out um, what where they're thinking. Sometimes they're a bit schizophrenic when it comes to policy. So, you know, everybody uh, is kind of waiting to see about that. I guess. Yeah, business just tends to be typically or has tended to be a, a pretty conservative and a Republican uh, crowd in general. But th- that's sort of the unique thing is that, um, you know, the stance on trade is not in the favor of, of a global business like seafood. And you could you could see that. So um, it's one of those industries that's kind of on edge about it. Um Mentioning shrimp, I mean, I, I would have to say that's probably the mo- the best mood I've seen the shrimp sector be in in years, <laughs> you know, in terms of stability of supply, in terms of feeling like there was control over disease, uh, in terms of demand. So that's the one that, that for me jumped out the most. Um, I wasn't in the, the scallop session that you were in, but in the uh, value whitefish, um, speaking of uh, pollock and, and cod and um, uh, some of the groundfish species, there's a pretty good mood there as well and a, a feeling that there would be some firmness on pricing. And yeah, I'd agree. In general, the mood was was uh, pretty pretty buoyant. You know, I will say about uh, I will say about shrimp. It, it over the years, um, <laughs> experience has taught when everybody is 
very bullish and excited about the shrimp market, looking at it as stable, as which is it's never stable, but it, it's considered stable right now to some degree. That's I take that sometimes it's a very bad sign that something is coming around the corner i'm sorry that's you know that glass half empty type of thing but it just it just seemed a little too happy for me but let's hope let's hope everybody's right they're a lot smarter than i am so the other thing uh, i heard a lot and this is you know and if i can do with it what they want but i heard a lot of people grumbling about the $2,300 cost of admission to the event. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what that means, but I had plenty of people come up and mention that to me. So eh, I just throw that out there. Well, you know, a couple of the interesting things that I thought didn't really come up this year, which usually dominate is, uh, you didn't hear a lot about sustainability, um, which, eh, I don't know, we're going to get to that topic in a second, um, but that that is interesting, because usually that is a, a huge running theme. Maybe it's just now so integrated into the supply chain, people don't find it an, a novel topic. Um, but what a lot of people were talking about, uh, trying to get their heads around it, I, I, it, it was good to hear it um, at least raised, um, was the idea of online shopping, meal kits, uh, Amazon Go, where you can, you know, in Seattle, that store that just opened where you can just go in, pick up your food and walk out. Um, you know, all of this has been on the horizon. Mainly, uh, we've heard about the advancements in China on online shopping. But I think Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods, uh, Blue Aprons expansion, which I was shocked by. I, I knew they were big. I didn't know they were that big. Um, this is going to, I think, radically change the retail landscape for the seafood sector. And it feels kind of like we're at one of those kind of black swan moments where things are going to tip really fast. And John, you were a little bit surprised about it, which surprised me. But in terms of the amount that millennials order online, you, you, you said you were surprised by that volume. Yeah, I just... I guess what's surprising me is, one, apparently millennials do not like to go to stores, which, you know, shouldn't surprise me because this trend has been developing now for, for quite a while. But to the degree and to the pace of how um, meal kit home delivery and online shopping is is progressing, it I, I guess that surprised me a little bit, you know, um, I do some of that personally, you know, I buy some stuff online, but not food and, uh, the meal kits are not something I do, but, um, apparently a lot of people do. So, uh, it's definitely, to me, it's a whole new, it's a whole new sector for, uh, for the salespeople in this industry. And one, you know, they definitely need to, um, need to start really working because the traditional retail is is changing um changing against them i think yeah and maybe we're a little bit naive uh being americans because dom ocado and home delivery certainly in london has been around oh, a long years. time yeah 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 not just listening to john no we um that's quite common i buy most of my food online seafood um, as well no, well, yeah, to some extent, but not never fresh seafood, mm. obviously. But that's an area they're working on here, I think. 
Um, yeah. Why do you say obviously? Well, <clears throat> well, because it's well, I don't know really. I, I, you people like to what go and see it and pick it out, I yeah. suppose, with fresh fish. Um, and yeah, you just there's too much trust involved because it comes in a delivery van, so you don't know how old it is or how fresh it is. Or I think you can do it. I, I think some fishmongers offer delivery services like specific fishmongers but no from from shops i don't even know if they offer it to be honest like the main supermarkets i mean they offer like chilled fish and seafood and frozen obviously but the actual kind of fish counter bit you can't order that stuff online right but, but, but pre-packed you, know, you can wrong, i don't think like yeah. map packed and that you can yeah all that yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that'll be interesting to see if that takes away that that barrier of buying uh, fresh fish. You know, if having it portioned, having it in a nice map packed, and you know, I I think that uh, you know Amazon and if it's Ocado or, or whoever it might be, any company that can make it so simple that you can just click and get everything you need, they're probably going to be the winners. You know, so I think. Most of these companies, there's been a few over the years, I think, that have tried to set up online delivery, you know, more like mail order stuff. Um, but I have a feeling if you if you are not uh, sitting there trying to figure out how to deal with online retailing and probably Amazon and Whole Foods in general, um, you might want to do that. Well, it's in China as well. It's online. It's huge for seafood, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That's really taken off there. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, well, let's uh, let's shift over then to sustainability. Um, John, you broke a story yesterday uh, about uh, Walmart and what they're up to, kind of gathering people together. And when they say jump, people say how high. So, what was that? Uh, what is that meeting going to be about, or what was it about, rather? And um, yeah, what do you kind of make of, of what it might mean for? the industry yeah i was uh you know i was i was told that they were going to have this meeting t uh yesterday uh so i reached out to them and got some feedback from them about you know what the what the reason for the meeting was etc um it's the what i thought was interesting it's the first of its kind the company has ever done uh pertaining to sustainable seafood so um that just tells me that you know they are uh, their efforts to buy and you know influence the supply chain from a sustainability standpoint are they're doubling down on that without a doubt i mean they they've been doing this for a while they've been involved in sourcing sustainably but um th th this was a this was a major thing i mean there were 75 or so um, attendees, most of them suppliers, but they had all the major NGOs in there, um, you know, MSC, uh, ASME, all those, all those people. So, um, and they gave some awards at the end. I'm putting together a story on that, on some of their suppliers who they recognize for their sustainability efforts, which is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting and they're very, um, they're very open to talking about it and where they are as far as their goals and move it reminds me of years ago when disney um and this was 
quite a few years ago, Disney did one of these, and it was <clears throat> it was kind of the first time any company of that size had done this, and um, it, it had quite an impact uh, down the line. Yeah, yeah, it it really did. Um, it it seems uh, also last week as well, the Monterey Bay Aquarium. Uh, released a slavery risk tool, and it seems like a lot of the focus is shifting. Sustainable uh, supply is still obviously important, and the Walmart meeting shows that, but it does seem like more and more attention is being given on the labor side of things. Um, and Dom, you uh, did an update story on the Seafood Task Force, and can you tell us a little bit about how that's evolved and where they want to take that group? Because um, more, I think it's one of the more interesting groups because of who's involved and sort of the level of um, the level of engagement up in the supply chain, meaning you have. You you know, the, yeah. the largest seafood buyers at Costco, for example, directly rolling up their sleeves. Yeah, I mean, I think it was established by, well, Costco and CP Foods um, in response to various um, reports of, of uh, bad practices in their uh, supply chains um, over in, in America. Um, and yeah, so it was formed in, I think, June 2014, um, when all that that sort of noise was going on um and since then they've been uh, they've recruited uh, i think it's they said it was 35 commercial fee-paying members and 17 ngos um or advisor organizations that are uh, all working and, and the, the royal thai government as well so it's a, there's got a massive focus on shrimp um at the moment but i think they're planning to roll that out across other species as well um but yeah so this started off focusing on thailand and shrimp um and since then it's just it's grown i think um uh audi uh and the msc and ifo rs they are the latest to join it um so it's basically everyone i mean walmart nestle cisco um and the idea is to just get more traceability in the supply chains which apparently before this simply didn't really exist there was no way you could track a product all the way back to where it came from um that's what i was told when i spoke to them anyway but um yes yeah, so they're going all the way from the vessels all the way to the stores um I mean, and implementing audits and, and what have you and where their gaps they're filling in the gaps um training people getting the technology in place all of that but yeah it's basically led i mean ken kimball who's uh is the cha chair of the task force um he's i think he's assistant vp of general merchandise manager of, or something at costco um uh, so yeah they're pretty much they're leading this whole thing but it is a, it's a group effort i think is what they're trying to put across yeah i mean i i think that's kind of interesting because it, you know it seemed like there was a phase there where everyone uh felt like okay if i get my eco labels in place i'm good mm -hmm. Um, and now it seems it's shifted to traceability, but the retailers still, still after all these years, it, it feels like that traceability isn't quite connected. So, um, I, I find that interesting that the, the retailers themselves are, are diving in, but I guess the state, well, yeah, really it, it, it's not just, it's also about accountability, I suppose. Um, so that was another important point they were trying to put across that, you know, people trust retailers, and and they are they've got to be held accountable for it. So, um, yeah. 
yeah, and that needs, you know, third-party verification. Um, and, yeah, to, you need someone to sort of validate what they're actually doing and they're doing things properly. So, um, yeah, but, yeah, I was shocked when he said that before all this, there literally was nothing in place um, to make sure that throughout the entire chain um, everything was, was kosher. So, yeah. yeah. And, and on the labor uh, side of things as well, because you're working on a story there on um, on the MSC, mm. um, yeah. you know, John, they've been talking for years about having some kind of labor component to MSC. And I don't know if it's just uh, kind of, you know, the bureaucracy of getting things through um, the MSC in terms of standards or what. But, um, Dom, it looks like they're actually going to move forward with that that looks like a, it's a it's a it's a real thing that's really planned that's really going to happen yeah so it's uh it's coming in this year i think well at least the first phase of it i mean so this couple of years ago they started discussing it seriously and put it all out to public consultations and and what have you um and now they're 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 going for another they've, they've got a list of proposals basically and they're, and they're doing it in a two-phased approach um the first one is a kind of where fisheries will self-assess um and then well, they'll identify like high risk um fisheries in terms of labor um and those high risk fisheries will have to get themselves certified against a, a, some sort of social standards. So they're, they're talking about um, the RFS in the UK, which is soon going global anyway in spring this year, um, the Responsible Fishing Scheme. Um, so they have to be certified against that. Or something like, um, uh, I can't remember what it's called, <laughs> in, in America. Um, it's free, it's Fair trade. Fair trade, that's the one. Fair trade US. US. USA, is that right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're, at the moment it's those two that are being cited. So as long as you're certified against one of those, um, then the MSC can certify you. So it's like an additional thing. They're, they'll only certify these high-risk fisheries as so long as they're already certified against the social standard, if that makes sense. Well, I don't know. That seems like a minefield uh, to me. I don't know. Um, John, what are your thoughts on whether or not they can pull this off? They'll pull it off. I, I just don't know how well or what shape it'll take. Um, and then uh, the Monterey Bay Aquarium came out, was it yesterday, with a new um, a new app to... <laughs> to um, you know, learn if there's uh, labor, forced labor in the supply chain. So it, it seems like this is going to be the theme for the NGOs uh, in 2018. So like anything, we'll have to wait and see, you know, who who the winners and losers are in this. Mm -hmm. But I, I think the point, though, is that MSC is saying they're not going to be um, – it's not going to be part of their standard as such. Um, they're not going to set their own social standard. They're just going to rely on third-party social standards. So but you'll right. be required well, to together. have it, though, to, to, to have MSC certification. Eventually, you'll be required to yeah. They'll be, if, you, if, you're a high, if you're what they've considered or worked out to be a high-risk fishery, I guess. But in talking about that one, that, was, that tool that was released yesterday, John, that, that the well, UK fishery, the scallop fishery, was um, ranked as critical risk for slavery in that yeah in i that, saw in that, that. Talk. so i mean it's going to be how do you determine whether it's high risk or not i wouldn't have said that well, was a high risk <laughs> uh fishery but then, that's a know. that's a question i had too that'll be interesting you know as you go through your reporting on it is um 
wow, how, how do you make that decision? How do you do that fairly? Um, how do you do that in a way that's not going to unduly burden the very fisheries that you're trying to help? Because it tends to be data deficient fisheries. It tends to be small scale fisheries that don't have the luxury of being able to hire somebody to, to shuffle papers all day long. Um, that are going to be the ones that would, um, I suppose, be considered high risk. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but they've got their work cut out for them, I think, to to make that um, a fair process. But like you say, they, their timeline is is long on this. This is not something they're going to try to implement tomorrow. No. Yeah. The MSC, you mean? No, they've got the... Well, the first stage of the self-assessment part is 20... 18 or 19 i think but the the main bit is 2020 i think they're going for or 2030 even all right did you uh, no sorry sorry 2020 yeah 2020 right. so a couple of years but i think it's i think it's important though that they're all doing this i mean something's got to be done i suppose yeah yeah well it's kind of the next big thing that needs to be tackled and it's probably the most difficult and contentious thing but you know certainly it's a black mark on the industry um and it's one that that uh that that can be addressed with a lot of work but it can and should be addressed so well i think that's about it for this episode of the intrafish podcast uh remember that you can find us on twitter on linkedin facebook all social media channels uh but the best place to keep up with us is right there on our website intrafish.com or to sign up for one of our many newsletters to keep on top of things thanks john thanks dominic and thanks kim for the help we'll speak to you all next time 